The jailer said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And over these uh, weeks, we are going to answer that question. As Phil said last week, um, we tried to run a baptism course, but we couldn't fit it in, so we thought we'd just do it for the whole church. A whole bunch of you need to be baptized anyway, so it does make it simpler. What must I do to be saved? One of the first things that Jesus said in his ministry in Mark chapter 1 was this, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Well, repent was last week, and uh, truthfully, if you haven't listened to that sermon online, you, you need to do that. Because that's a key part of what the rest of this is about. And if we don't do things in the right order, we don't understand the whole thing about what Jesus is saying, then, then we miss something. Um, and uh, David Porson, for whom I don't agree with everything that he said, <laughs> and he wouldn't agree with anything I said, um, <laughs> wrote a book called The Normal Christian Birth. And he talked about the importance of all the parts, the repent, the believe, the be baptized, the belong to the church, the be filled with the Holy Spirit, that, that otherwise we don't have a normal birth. We need all of those parts of the equation in order to be born again. So if you haven't listened to that, gird your loins and listen to it. Repent, turn from sin and turn to God. Repent and believe. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Believe. And I couldn't get out of my head the little tune that says I'm a believer <laughs> for the whole week. It's probably the most profound thing I'm going to say, actually. <laughs> believe the good news. Believe the gospel. That's simply it. Believe. You know, in the New Testament, there rarely ever talks about someone becoming a Christian. It always talks about them believing. If you put a concordance search in under the word believe, you just get like hundreds of scriptures. Hundreds. Because every time they encountered Jesus, they encountered the gospel, it says they believed. They believed. And the term Christian was only coined as a term of abuse from those who didn't believe about those who did, who were the little Christs. And we've taken on that term and we've used it, and that's perfectly fine. But actually, it doesn't really talk so much about people becoming Christians as people believing in Jesus. They believed. And you'll know that across the Muslim world right now, many more people are coming to know Christ than at any point in the whole of human history. And many of those are referred to as Muslim background believers those who've come from a Muslim background, who still are in a Muslim culture, they are not, hear this the right way, they are not becoming Christians because that means joining a whole other cultural group. They are believing in Jesus in their own culture. And so that word believe is really, really important. This is one of our favorite places. It is uh, Silverdale, Morecambe Bay, Morecambe Sands. And it is a stunning, stunning place. Mike and I went there last week and it was pouring with rain in Skipton, but the sun was shining in Silverdale. It's always the case. The sun always shines in Silverdale. 
And you look across the bay, and it's the bit from Grange over Sands on the other side in the South Lakes to the bit that's sort of Cumbria, Lancashire. And Morecambe Sands is just this amazing place. It's this extended beach that goes on for miles upon miles. It is just like the perfect location where you can take your sunbed and your sun umbrella and a book and a glass of something that you like, and you can just sail down in the sunshine because it's just amazing. See, they were all giggling by this point in the 9.15. Because that is not what you would do on Morecambe Sands. <laughs> like, there are signs everywhere. Do not walk on the sands. And just occasionally, we, we go a little way out. The dog absolutely loves it because she's really light. <laughs> and we walk a little bit out, but not very far from the edge, you know, kind of like lying down distance from the edge. <laughs> because when you walk on Morecambe Sands, Without warning, you suddenly become shorter <laughs> as your feet start to sink. Now, many years ago, um, we walked across the whole of Morecambe Bay, but we did it with a guide. With a guide. You see, Morecambe sands are not quite how they look. It's much a case of uh, more style than substance. <laughs> And as I was reflecting on this this week, I thought, what is our faith based on? Does it look nice from the outside? To everybody else, does it look perfect, shiny, beautiful? Now, as we were just singing that song, it reminded me of um, a different version of the same song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less, where the chorus says, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. What is our faith based on? Faith, belief, depending on the sentence, are kind of interchangeable. And I want to talk about a number of things this morning, but the first one of those is what are the stepping stones of our faith? Because actually, we have those things. And the first, and probably actually, from my point of view, the most important is this, the historical facts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15... Paul is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. He's talking about the fact that if the resurrection of Jesus is not true, then all the rest of it is a waste of time. That everything we do is in vain. That the songs that we've sung so enthusiastically this morning are pointless. Unless the resurrection of Jesus is true. And he says from verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. If you've been hanging around this church for any length of time, you'll know that Phil and I are both passionate about this, about the fact that it's real, it's true, it's consistent, that Jesus lived, that he is a more documented person than someone like Julius Caesar, and yet we don't have any issues thinking, oh, I don't know if Julius Caesar really existed or not. I'm not sure about him. 
There is much more evidence for Jesus than for people like Julius Caesar. He was a real person. He definitely died on the cross. That was the way that Romans killed people. When you put a spear in someone's side and blood and water flows out, they are dead. They are not pretending. It's not one of those environments where you pretend. They didn't debate whether or not he was dead. They were surprised that he was dead so quickly. And if he hadn't been, they'd have left him hanging there for longer. He was put in a tomb with a big stone rolled in front of it and Roman guards. Someone who is dead does not wake up in the morning feeling really strong, push away a stone, throw over a few Roman guards and then appear to be totally, totally fine and walk through walls. It just doesn't happen. The people who were on his side wrote about him, but the people who were not on his side also wrote about him. His enemies said that these things had truly happened. They saw the growth of the church. They were terrified about the believers and the new Christians because they knew that they had a fire that nothing could put out. The historical facts about Jesus and about the scriptures, again, there is unbelievable consistency throughout the pages of scripture from one version to another version to another urgent throughout the centuries and some of them are super old they were written when Jesus and his disciples were still alive there were people there could check yeah that's what happened yeah that's what he said utter consistency you know one of the reasons that we have faith is because it's true and in parts of my life when I have had everything thrown against me and gone I just don't know anymore it's not great going, I don't know anymore when you're a minister, by the way. It's not a good career option. I have come back, and piece by piece by piece, I've put back together that puzzle again that says, this is true. Do I believe in Jesus because my mum and dad did? Well, kind of. But that doesn't keep me in the faith. I believe in Jesus because he lived and he died and he raised to life. I believe in Jesus because the scriptures are valid. And I've come back and I've put all the bits together. And I encourage you, whether you're at the front end of this journey or later on, get the book, The Case for Christ, if you want a good version of it written all out for you so you don't have to do so much work. Read the chapters in the Alpha book about who is Jesus, his historical reality. Make sure that it's not just flaky that you are standing on the historical reality and facts of Jesus and his life and death. So that's the first one. The second one is the character of a person. I trust you, most of you, <laughs> because of your character. You know, Jesus is truthful. He has integrity. He is loving. He has compassion. He is brave. He stands against injustice. He reaches out to the marginalized. What kind of character of person is like that? Is this someone you want to know? Is this someone you can trust? And yet again, throughout history, it's not just the people on his side who said those things about him. It's historians. It's world leaders. It's people of other faiths. It's people who don't agree with anything that he says at all, say... This Jesus is someone who we admire, who is like no other. And because of the character of Jesus, you can trust him and believe him. 
reliable witnesses. You know, that's why we have four Gospels. I mean, really, we could just have one. I mean, it would be a bit longer. We have four. Because when you have four witnesses from different places looking at something through a slightly different filter and the picture is the same, it's reliable. And so Matthew is keen to say to people, look, he fulfills all the messianic expectations. He fulfills the law. He makes sense of our Jewish faith. And Mark just wants to go through a breakneck pace and say, look at him, son of man and son of God, fully human, fully divine. Look at this man. And Luke, the doctor, of course, I'm going to give you all the facts, starting from the very beginning, to make sure it all makes sense to you. And so he does. And then you have John, who's really a bit different, much more reflective, tells us much more about the kind of things that Jesus said, the kind of way he said them, the signs, the words that lead us to believe in his deity. But we have reliable witnesses. I often think that I wouldn't be a reliable witness. Not because I mean not to be, just because I'm so totally unobservant. I mean, I'm like one of these people who would say they were definitely wearing a blue jumper, and they weren't. <laughs> so I don't mean to be unreliable, but I think that I probably would. But these guys, they're reliable. And Paul and others of the early church who wrote about this man, Jesus. And then, as we've already seen this morning, other people's experiences. So powerful, aren't they? Thank you, Jonas. Thank you to the others of you who've been brave and stood up here and just shared your story. It's so inspiring. You know, we've, we feel our faith has grown over these last few years. I hope that's not disappointing to you. <laughs> Just hearing the stories of what Jesus is doing in people's lives. You know, when we see you come in and then we see you go out and you've met Jesus in between times and wow, you know, transforming lives, changing people, doing amazing things, giving you a sense of belonging and worth and coming home and being loved, accepted, being able to be who you are, being able to let something go from in your past. You know, Jesus does that, doesn't he? And that's another stepping stone in our faith. So what is faith? What is belief? It's a number of different things, I think. It's gone to sleep. <laughs> Mental assent. You know, that is important, isn't it? We're like, we're whole people. I need to think that this adds up. I need to think it makes sense, that it's not crazy. I need to be able to give a reason for the hope that I have in Jesus. Something in my mind has to kind of get it, and it does, and that's why that's so important. We have mental assent to the truth, the things that are true about Jesus. Also, there's an emotional response, isn't there? You know, I am loved. I am worth something. I am valued. I am accepted. Jesus has compassion on me. He includes me. Those things cause an emotional response. There's something in our heart that, that responds to Jesus. And there's something about spiritual conviction, isn't there? It's more than, oh yeah, it seems like a good idea. More than, oh yeah, I could sign up to that the same as I'm signing up to some other club. There's something about conviction. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you might like to find it. Starting from verse 3, actually, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
Paul writes this, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's a good sentence, that, isn't it? The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's something that's spiritual that happens. Why did you become a Christian? Why did you believe? Now, I believed in Jesus and gave my life to him when I was 11 years old. Why was it not 10 or 9 or 8? Why at 11, in that service, which was all about lighthouses, did I suddenly think, I want to commit my whole life to Jesus Christ? Why? What happened on that day that had not happened up till then? What happened to some of you who've come into this church and gone, I didn't used to think this was true. Oh, but now I do. Why? Because there is something where the Holy Spirit engages with your spirit and takes away the blinkers from your eyes. The blinkers that the God of this age has put on us. He does not want people to know Jesus. He does not want people to believe You know why it feels like you're hitting a brick wall sometimes where you're trying to share your faith? Because you are. Because there's a blindness, a stubbornness, an inability to receive. And the Holy Spirit gives you the revelation that Jesus really is who he said he was. Now, this is not linear, mental sense, emotional response, spiritual conviction. It's more like kind of a Venn diagram thing where they're all overlapping. And for some people... The intellectual part of this is the most important part. For some people, the emotional part of it will be the most important part. But for everyone, there needs to be this sense of spiritual conviction of what the Holy Spirit does in revealing Jesus to us. And it's in that whole thing together that we believe in Jesus. Let me borrow something for a moment just the chair. (laughs) So here we have a chair. It's a chair. You can see that. It's a chair. Now, I'm just going to lean on it for a moment. Just going to lean on it. Heather, can you come and move the chair for me, please? Just, just move it. No, that's fine, because I'm just leaning on it. You see, I could just maybe like sit on the arm, but, um, you know, actually I'm just going to keep my feet on the floor here, you know, because actually that just feels a bit better because it's a church chair and <laughs> can't guarantee it's going to happen. Or, you know, Feeling a little bit braver here, I'll, um, the kind of hovering position. <laughs> yeah. Or, or actually, you know, I'm going to be really, really courageous. I'm going to sit on the front. I'm just going to lean a little bit forward. See, that's not what a chair's for, is it? You know, a chair is so you go sit down, right? Actually, I might carry on like this quite nice. <laughs> 
You know, the word for faith, the word for believe, is about throwing your whole weight upon. And it, when you trust a chair, you throw your whole weight upon the chair. Do you understand? So if I'm leaning on it, but basically I'm trusting my feet on the ground, I'm not believing in the chair. If I'm even sitting on the edge like this, but my feet are on the ground, I'm not believing in the chair. Even if I'm sitting on the front edge and my feet are basically still taking my weight, I'm not believing in the chair. The point at which I sit down on the chair with my feet in the air, I am trusting my whole weight to the chair. And that is what believing is about. And it strikes me that one of the issues that we have right now is that our believing in Jesus is a little bit half-hearted. That we're kind of leaning but actually when push comes to shove I trust me more than Jesus I'm not putting my whole weight onto him I'm not really fully believing in him I'm I'm hedging my bets I like this church stuff I like Jesus he seems nice but I'm not going to throw my whole weight in because well what happens if it doesn't work Believing in Jesus is about believing fully, throwing our whole weight, everything we are, everything we have, onto him, because he is trustworthy. You know, when the conquistadors went to South America, one of the main reasons that they were more successful than anyone who had come before them was simply this. Their leader said, on the beach, burn the boats. Burn the boats. Because if you have no place to go back to, you go forward. You are fully motivated, you are fully committed, you are fully in. In the story of uh, Elijah and Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah calls Elisha to take over from him, I'm sorry they've got similar names, it says this, So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, he had 12 yoke of oxen, he was a really wealthy man, and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. There was no going back. There was no livelihood to go back to. There was no life to go back to. I'm leaving it, and I'm following. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. Believe. Leave. Follow. Burn the boats. Put your whole weight into the future into me, believe in me. I just want for a few moments to talk about a few things that I think are shaky foundations to faith, but things that we can easily make the foundations of our faith. We can believe on the basis of signs. In John chapter 4 and verse 48, Jesus has been asked to heal and a Roman official's son. And he says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The boy got healed. It was only Jesus' second sign, and he went on to do a few more. It wasn't that Jesus didn't do signs. He did, and miracles, and wonders. And so did the disciples that followed. And so is what happens today across the church. Maybe for today you're going, my life is a sign and a wonder if God's healed me, set me free. But you know, if that is the basis of your faith, it will be a shaky foundation. 
Because what happens if something doesn't work out? What happens if it goes wrong? What happens when the storms come? Our faith needs to be on Jesus, just Jesus. And give thanks for the signs and the wonders and all the stuff that Jesus does, but do not base your faith on those things. How many of you believe in answered prayer? How many of you have experienced answered prayer in your life? By the way, yes is an acceptable answer to this question. It's brilliant, isn't it? Isn't that why we pray? Isn't that why we've got like 10 days of praying all of the time? It's because we want to see God answer prayer. It's not because we don't think he's going to answer it. I'm not doing it for that. He answers. He always answers. He doesn't always answer in the way that I want him to. Ah, that's a bit of an issue, isn't it? And if our faith is on the basis of answered prayer, then it's a shaky foundation. Because all the while God answers in the way that I want him to, I trust him. But at the point where he says, no, or wait, or grow, or nothing, what happens to my faith then? Let's pray. Let's have faith that God will answer. Let's expect him to answer. But please don't base your faith firstly on that. And some of us believe on the basis of fulfilled expectations. If my life works out in the way that I have decided it's going to work out, I will trust God. That's also a very first world kind of a thing to believe, actually. All of us have the Hollywood image of what our life should be, don't we? We've been given it enough times on our TVs. What happens if it doesn't work out? What happens if I'm faithful to God with every part of my being and he doesn't give me what I want? He doesn't make things work out in the way that I think that they should work out. What happens then? What happens if we only believe when things go well for us? You know, many of us base our faith on the things that are not rocks, but are sinking sand. Things that are changeable, things that are just part of the world that we live in. We need to base our faith on Jesus. And then he is the rock through the storms, as we sung a minute ago. When the winds come, when the rains come, when all chaos is around us, when our prayers don't seem to be answered, where there's no signs and wonders, when our expectations are not fulfilled in the way that we have decided, we still have our feet on the rock that is Christ. We believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We believe in his name. His name is all of these things. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I will give you abundant life. He is the Lord who provides, the God who heals. He is the living one. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is all these things. When we believe in his name, when we pray in his name, it is in all of those things, in the authority of all of those things. We believe in Jesus. That name, Savior, captures all the other things. And we believe in the person That beautiful person. Now, wherever Jesus was, people were attracted to him and crowds came. Do any of you have that experience? (laughs) See, it's not that usual, is it? Wherever Jesus was, people wanted to be. 
Even his enemies wanted to be there. They didn't want to be there, but they kind of did. He was a kind of person that people speak highly about. People like Gandhi. Even other rulers who have no faith, who are anti-Christ in everything they stand for, still say Jesus was amazing. And our faith is in him. And it's not about the quantity of our faith, but the quality of the person. You know, sometimes I feel I have huge faith, and sometimes I feel that my faith is fragile like a spider's web. It's not about that. It's about Jesus. The quantity of our faith is not the main thing. Well, it's nice when you have lots. <laughs> it's about the quality of the person that we put our faith in. You know, this belief, a little bit like Phil was saying really with repentance, it's covenantal. It's not contractual. It's not like you sign the bottom of a piece of paper and you say, oh, I've agreed, we've agreed. It's a covenant between you and God and he takes the lion's share. You know, he says, even if you mess up, I'll still keep on loving you. It's a covenant. We enter into a relationship with him. It's relational. It isn't religious. I hate being called religious. I hate it. Never ever do that to me. See, religious is about rules. Not into rules. Into a relationship with a person. Into doing the things that make him happy. That honor him. That's a relationship. And it's continual and not momentary. Now, I believed on that day, back a number of years ago now. And every day... I believe. Every day. Because every day is, it's not like the big sign up, but it's the choice, isn't it? To keep on trusting myself to Jesus. Putting my whole weight and reliance upon him. Knowing him, growing in that relationship with him. Every day, I believe. You know, our Faith has to be worked out, doesn't it? It's worked out in our words. In Romans 10, this used to be a super popular passage for people to read. It's kind of gone off the radar, so I thought I'd read it to you again. Romans 10. And verse 8. It says, what does it say? The word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, we can't say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit of God is in us. I mean, you can technically say it. There is something powerful about speaking out our faith, speaking out the words of truth, speaking out that Jesus is Lord, saying, I believe. That's why our songs are important, because they speak out of our hearts what's in our hearts. 
It's expressed in our words. It's expressed in our behavior, in obedient and transformed lives. Phil was talking about this last week as well. You know, we, we don't turn from sin and turn to God and put our whole faith into him, and then everything stays the same. Actually, everything is changed at that point. The driving force of our lives is changed. We are no longer Lord. He is. And we are under his lordship, and therefore everything about our life should be obedient to him. There should be a transformation in our lives to him. And real belief is observable. You know, people should be able to see, shouldn't they? I always find this a bit intimidating, really. But if you're changed by trusting yourself to Jesus, should other people not be able to see that? Should it not be observable in some way or other? Now, when we go to the gym, people say, oh, you're looking, you're working out at the moment. And we always go, oh, no, no, not really. <laughs> when you go on holiday to a warm place, you come back and people go, oh, you look well. You've been on holiday. You know, when we do make changes in our life, people will notice. We've put our whole life into the hands of Jesus. We've believed in him. And that should be observable, shouldn't it? I want to finish with a story. A couple of months ago, Phil and I went to um, an Open Doors event in Manchester. And uh, a pastor there uh, from Egypt was speaking. Um, He'd spent most of his ministerial life in Yemen, actually. So really demanding, difficult places to serve God. And uh, he told us a story about um, something that happened in in North Africa, Algeria, I think it was. Um, And he said there was a pastor there, and one day the pastor heard knocking at the door, really intense, persistent knocking at the door. And you'll understand that Algeria is um, pretty high up on the world watch list of places where it's very difficult to be a believer in Jesus, and your life will be at risk. And so he heard this knocking on the door, and uh, eventually he went to open the door. There's a woman standing there, and she said, I-, I need to speak to you. I need to speak to you. He's like, well, you, you better come in then. And she said, I had this dream, and in the dream I saw a man, he was dressed in white. He said that his name was Jesus, and that if I came to you, you would explain everything to me. So the pastor sat her down and he went through who Jesus was and the story of the gospel with her. And she was just like overwhelmed. She said, yeah, that's, that's him. That's him. She said, I, I want to know him. I want, I want my life to be committed to this Jesus. And she was just overwhelmed in that moment with the love and the joy of Jesus and knowing him for the first ever time. And she said, she said to the pastor, Pastor, I'm going back to the mosque right now and I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to tell everybody about this Jesus that you've told me about. And the pastor, being a wise man, said, "Um, that may not be the best idea. 
may not be the best idea. Because, well, if you tell anyone, you're going to be thrown out of your family. And if you tell anyone, you'll lose any form of employment that you might have. And if you tell anyone, your children will probably be taken away from you. And if you tell anyone, you might be tortured or imprisoned or killed. So maybe it's best if you don't do that just now. At least not as enthusiastically <laughs> as you're talking about. And so the woman left his home and they heard nothing for a week. And they heard nothing for another week. And they heard nothing for another week. And they began to assume that the worst had happened, that she had indeed told someone and either she'd been kept in her home or thrown into prison or even, even killed. And then one day, there was a knocking at the door, a loud and persistent knocking at the door, and he opened the door and this woman was standing there. She said, Pastor, I told all my friends. <laughs> And every single one of them had had the same dream that I had had about Jesus. So I told them. You know, that's what belief is, isn't it? It's when your whole life just rests on Jesus, who he is and all that he's done. And something happens within you that compels you to say, Jesus is Lord. And whatever the cost... Jesus is Lord.